How are y'all doing? Y'all is how we say, how we speak down south in New Hampshire. Because what were the, the, the Flatliners? Is it no the Flatlanders? Flatliners. <laughs> what are the Flatlanders? Or so I'm told. What's going to be with y'all? Uh, this morning. Thanks for inviting us up. It's great to come up and spend time with the church and friends, and uh, it's a real treat for us to be here with you. Uh, So thank you for inviting us. My name is Mike Fix, and uh, I have, uh, my wife and I are involved with leading church down in New Hampshire. Uh, Actually, God leads the church, and we get a chance to be along for the ride, uh, which is pretty exciting. Sometimes it's very eventful, sometimes it's not, but it's exciting. And uh, God has been very kind to us, as he's been kind to, to you as well. So, uh, it's a great, a great opportunity to be here uh, with you. Uh, I had, have you. How many of you have seen Saving Private Ryan, the movie? Okay, awesome. For those of you that haven't, I'm going to tell you a little story about uh, a scene in the movie uh, that I find to be very, very impactful and, and very impressive. Saving Private Ryan is a movie in Hollywood based on a true story. What that means is that some of it's true and some of it's uh, created for Hollywood. Uh, there is no Private Ryan. Uh, it's actually kind of based on the story of another family, I think, out of New York. And they did have some situations where they had some sons who died and they wanted to retrieve the, the one son so that they'd have at least one uh, surviving son who served in the military. So that, that's where the story came from, but they took liberties as far as painting the picture of what had gone on. Uh, Captain Miller uh, and his platoon were, were charged with finding this Private Ryan. And, of course, as you can imagine, Ryan's a very popular name. And so there's a lot of Ryans, and they're searching for this needle uh, in a haystack. And they're searching around trying to find him. And finally they do discover him, and he's with his platoon getting ready to fight German, the German advancement, cr- trying to cross a bridge uh, that they're supposed to hold. And so the whole scene is all these men in a platoon have been on this quest to find this Private Ryan. They find him, and their job is to get him back to safety so he doesn't die. And, and it turns out that he doesn't want to go. He wants to stay and fight with the men that he had served with uh, to fight that battle. And so, so Captain Miller decides that they're going to stay and support him, although they've lost a good number of men trying to retrieve him. And he decides we're going to try to... to help this guy get through this one battle so we can get him back safely and, and continue on uh, with our jobs. And it turns out that in the battle, this Captain Miller is shot. And most of the men that, that were fighting in that, that platoon had lost their lives trying to find this Captain, this uh, Private Ryan. The most amazing scene to me is the scene where, uh, I'm emotional, <laughs> where Ryan is an older gentleman, let's say my age or older. And he's in that cemetery in Normandy. And he's looking for Captain Ryan's gravestone. And he finds it. And he, um, and he, I'm sorry, Captain Miller's gravestone. And he, he finds it. And he, he's looking at it and he's, he's reflecting on a conversation that he had had many, many years prior. As Captain Miller's dying... And Ryan comes over, Captain Miller whispers something to his ear. And he simply says this, James, earn this. 
earn it. And he dies. And so James Ryan, many years later, having a family and grandchildren, and he goes to visit a tombstone in Normandy, and he, he has this conversation. He says, every day I think about what you said to me that day on the bridge. I tried to live my life the best that I could. I hope that was enough. I hope that at least in your eyes, I've earned what all of you have done for me. I think it's one of the most well-written, maybe made-up stories. You know, when someone gives their life, when someone sacrifices for you, the response typically is, I want, I want to earn it. I want to do something back in gratitude and appreciation, isn't it? Yeah. When someone does something nice for you, I mean, I don't know about you, but when I get a gift, I want to give a gift back to somebody, and I want the gift to be better than the one they gave me. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, if Laura's going to spend $100 on me, I'm going to spend 150 on her just to say thank you for putting up with me all these years and, and for loving me all these years, and I appreciate and I love you and I need you in my life. And, 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 and this desire is when someone gives us something, our desire is to want to give back. Is to want to do something out of gratitude and appreciation. I think that example, to me, touches my heart because I don't think about Captain Ryan. I don't think about the private, um, Private Ryan and Captain Miller. I think about Jesus. I think of him saying, okay, Mike, earn it. Not earn your salvation, because that's a gift for us, but, but, but live up to the sacrifice that was made for you. Right. In other words, make the most of your life. Don't settle for anything less. Make the most of your life. Paul talks about that in the Bible as well. In Ephesians chapter 5, you can open up your Bibles there. But make your life count. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, we're going to start there. Like I said, I, I just love being here in, in, uh, in your beautiful part of the country. Uh, your, your hills are just, oh my goodness, they're beautiful. Uh, my wife is, is an artist, and so she's taking photos of your farmlands and your hills and, and everything, and so she can go home and paint them. I'm hoping that she can paint them, sell them, and make lots of retirement money. Um, so she just wants to paint them. But I want to sell them so that we can have uh, be set for, for life. In Ephesians chapter 5, this is such a rich passage, and so uh, let me read it for you. Starting in verse 1, he says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or greed Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, 
full fruit, uh, I'm sorry, for the fruit of light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out whatever pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything, ex- uh, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible. For it is the light that makes everything visible. That's why it says, Wake up, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful then how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Let's just stop there for a second. This thing is rich. He starts out and he says, He says, Be imitators of God, therefore as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He says, Be imitators of God. He spends the first several chapters of Ephesians talking to the church about God and about Jesus and about grace and forgiveness and freedom and all these truths. And then the last three chapters, he says, so therefore, this is what your response should be like. In chapter 5, he says, be imitators of God. Be imitators. The Greek word used for imitators there is the word, word that we translate as mimic. To mimic. You know what mimicking is? Have you seen Jaws? You familiar with Jaws? The first one that I'm dating myself now? I saw it in high school, okay? Alright, so, so Jaws. Well, remember that one scene where the sheriff is sitting there and he's sitting at the table trying to figure out what's going on and he's in deep thought at the dinner table and his little, little son, who's probably like four years old, is watching dad. Remember that scene? And he's sitting there and, 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 and the, you know, the, the sheriff is just like, he's sitting there trying to, and he goes, like this, and, and you see the little four-year-old boy sitting at the table going, looking at his dad. And then the dad goes like this and just sits there. Because he's, you know, he's, he's reflecting. He's, he's trying to figure out some, a solution. And he's sitting there in deep thought. And the little boy moves his hands and puts them under his chin and just looks just like dad does. And he does other gestures. And what, what the little boy's doing, he's mimicking his father. He wants to be like his dad. And so his dad makes these gestures and so the little boy makes these gestures. Right. And that's why he's sitting here. He says, imitate or, or mimic your father in heaven. But then he goes on and he says, why? As dearly loved children. Dearly loved children. You know why I suspect most of the times we don't mimic father, our father? It's because maybe we don't really feel like dearly loved children. You know what I'm saying? There's some, some, some disconnect going on there. So yeah. imitating him, we, we miss it. And, and, but he says, dearly loved children. Uh-huh. We stayed with the Leafs last night. And, and I walk in their house, and, and I've been there before, and we're walking around and talking, and we're in the, their, their family, not their family room, but their, their living room where they have the piano. And on the piano are these big pictures of all three of their kids. And as you're talking to them, you just see you just see the pride well up of yeah, this is my son and my daughters, and they they do this and then these kids are loved. Right. They're loved. Last night we we're out with with Ralph and Sue, and, and they're talking about all. It was great to connect with them and sit and talk, but you know they're talking about their kids and and, and their concerns and their love for their kids and how their kids are this and that and their character and all these things. And just like they're dearly loved kids. 
They're dearly loved kids. Watch Mike and Kristen with James and Sam. Oh my goodness. You know, I, I know what's going on with their family just by Instagram. <laughs> you know, hey, what's going on? Oh yeah, what's his name? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's on Instagram, you know, and and walking in the water in the bathing suit and all all these different kind of things. You're like, you know, they're they're such dearly loved kids. He's describing. He's saying to the church in Ephesus, you know, be like your father because you are dearly loved by him. Imitate him, mimic him, try to be the things that you imagine him to be because he loves you. And he says that love is demonstrated through, through Christ, who loved us. And he gave himself up for us. Get that. Jesus died on the cross for you. Oh yeah, he did it for everybody else in the room, but he did it for you. He did for you. 35 years ago, it clicked for me. I was going to church. I was reading the Bible sometimes. Um, And 35 years ago, I was sitting in in a living room attending a singles Bible discussion group. And the guy leading it was in the medical field, and so he does the medical account of the crucifixion. And when he does it, he memorized what happens to the body of someone who's crucified. And so he tells the story. I had never known it. I grew up in the church. We had statues of Jesus being crucified. Looked kind of effeminate to me. And, you know, not a whole lot of blood, which is good because I pass out when I see blood. And so, you know, it's kind of a good crucifixion for me. You know what I'm saying? It's the, the bloodless kind of death. I like that. And, and you know, he explained what happens to the body when someone sacrifices their, their life and someone dies on the cross. And, and I sat there afterwards. I, like, was hit by a train. And I sat there afterwards, and, and the singles are getting up and are eating brownies and coffee and celebrating and talking. And, and I'm sitting on the end of my, at the sofa like, like I had just been hit. And one person came over with a cup of coffee and said, Hey, Mike, here's some coffee for you. And you okay? And I said, I'm not. I just, I never knew this. I never knew it. Yeah. And a short time later, I became a Christian. I repented of my sins. I was baptized into Christ. And I've been living like a, like a disciple and striving to at least for the last 35 years of my life. Amen. Which is amazing to me because up to that point, I've been committed to nothing except myself for 24 years. And I became a Christian. To think I'm in the ministry, I laugh. God has a sense of humor. To think I live in New England, I think is entertaining because New England was the last place on the earth I wanted to live. Live in New Hampshire, which I thought I was cursed, like God sent me to New Hampshire uh, because I did something wrong, you know. And so everything I expected from my life has been turned upside down. And I look back on it now and I'm just stunned at what God has done and what he's given me a chance to see, including hardships and difficulties. But I'm amazed. I'm amazed. And I'm still, I'm I'm not a finished product. I'm still working on it. I'm still trying to imitate my father, mimic him, because he loves me so much. And then he goes on, he says, and live a life of love. You know, love requires sacrifice. It requires sacrifice. My son uh, had his first child in March, on March 6th of this year, which means I'm a grandparent for the very first time. 
I want you to know that I'm demonstrating discipline by not putting her picture up on the screen, uh, which was in my slides and we took them out. Because um, I think it's cheap when ministers do that. What? Until I had a granddaughter. Yeah. Now I understand it, okay? But I didn't get it quite before. My son is uh, a great dad. He's a new dad. He's a great dad. I remember asking him one time, I said, so Kai, how do you feel about being like being a dad? He says, well, you know, there's days I really like it, and there's some days I don't. And I said, so describe to me those days, you oh, I like it when she looks at me, and she interacts with me, and she smiles, and she laughs, and she, you know, that look of love, that look of I do nothing wrong. And what about the other times? It's when she wakes me up in the middle of the night screaming, and I have to get up and take care of her, and then I have to go to work that day. And Daddy goes, I haven't had a good night's sleep in probably several months now. He says it's challenging, but you know what, Dad? It's worth the sacrifice. It's worth the sacrifice. I said, how do you you feel about having a daughter? He goes, I don't know. But I feel great about having Sienna. Her name is Sienna. I feel great about having her. I'm not sure about a daughter, but I'm great about, I feel great about having my daughter, my Sienna, taking care of her. He says here, he says, live a life of love. Love requires sacrifice. Just as a mirror is a reflection of you, so your lifestyle should be seen as a reflection of God. People should look at your life and say there's something different about it. I don't know what it is, don't particularly get it, but there's something different about your lifestyle. Our lifestyle should be seen as a reflection of God's standard. He goes on, he says, avoid sexual impropriety and greed and, and cussing and profanity and all these things. He says, these aren't, these aren't appropriate for followers of Christ. They're not appropriate for them. So I'm a Christian, but I'm immoral. Not appropriate, doesn't cut it, doesn't work. Well, I swear on my job, but not at home. Doesn't cut it. He says, mimic your father. Be like him. Right? Be like him, he says. It's important here that Christians have an attitude and a commitment to sexual issues that reflect God's standards. When I was single and dating Laura, I worked in a career uh, office, and I remember one of my co-workers making fun of me for not sleeping with Laura. Before we were dating, we were engaged, and they made fun of me for it. They wondered about my sexual orientation. Uh, They wondered about me as a person. And they made fun of me and they mocked me. And one woman in particular, her name was Martha. She won't hear this tape. Um, But but Martha made fun of me and and for nine months rode me. Nine months. I decided to go into ministry. I was asked to go into ministry. And so I chose to go. And I was leaving my company, and they didn't give me a watch or a big send-off. But she sat me down the day before I left, and she said, Mike, you know, I know I made fun of you all these months, but I want you to know something. I have a daughter who is 17 years old. She's graduated from high school. She's going to start college next year, and I really hope she meets a guy like you. Now, it's not because I was that handsome or that brilliant or anything like that. I think it's because I respected Laura, and I cherished the standards that God laid out. Now, I'm not going to stand here today and say it wasn't easy. It wasn't. Not at all, in fact. But I look back on it, and I didn't realize, but she'd been watching the way I lived. 
and making judgments and decisions accordingly. He goes on and says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Don't people, you know, today in our, in our generation, today, our culture, there can be so many empty words that can deceive us. He says, don't be deceived. Don't get sucked in to those, uh, to those kind of words. You know, today the truth is all relative. No, it's not. Truth is truth. Um, light exposes the darkness. But I want to close out with one sentence here that jumped out at me that, that I'll, I'm going to tell you right now has really transformed the way I think and the way I live. It's in verse 15. He says, Be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. I want to hone in that little phrase, making the most of every opportunity. Let's see where my slides are. Okay, we just read that one, right? Cool. Making the most of every opportunity. The, Greek, the, the, the idea of opportunity in the Greek is actually the word time. We have it translated as opportunity in the Greek language is actually time. So he says, make the most of your what? Time. But interestingly enough, in Greek there are two words for time. One is uh, chronos. My slide presentation, don't make fun of me. That's chronos. Chronos is, is time. Like church today goes from what, 10 to 1 or something like that. Um, no one gave me a time for my sermon, so I'm assuming it's 10 to 1. Uh, but, but Chronos is, is time. It's the time on your watch. It's the, oh, it took me 30 minutes to get here. Or we're spending you know, an hour and a half in church. Or work, like work at 9 to... That's, that's Chronos. That's time, an element of time, a measurement of time. But there's another Greek word for it. And it's karyos. And karyos is, is in mythology, Greek mythology. Uh, it's a god, and I'll explain it in just a second. But karyos is the word that Paul uses here. He says, make the most... Of, of, of every karyos. Karyos is the word for time, but it's what you do within that time. You follow me? Let me give you an example. Laura and I drove up here. It takes about three hours to drive up here from where I live. And so we drove up. So we can say, Kronos was 12 to 3. Three hours driving up in the car. But karyos is what we did in the car. We prayed. Together for a while. We talked about people who were studying the Bible in our ministry. We talked about people in our ministry who want to help. We talked about our kids. We talked about our dreams. Whenever we drive long distances, we ask each other, what are your hopes and dreams? What do you want to do with your life? What do you want to, want to accomplish with your life? What are your hopes and dreams? And so, so that's karyos. It's that, that moment of time for decision or, or action. But, it, but it's that karyos. And what Paul's saying here, he's saying, make the most of every karyos moment that you have. Make the most of your time. Now, karyos is a very interesting word. In Greek mythology, karyos is the god of the fleeting moment. All right? The god of the fleeting moment. So, you may not be able to see very clearly, but karyos has wings on his feet. Right? He's on his toes. And this dude is just going around the world. Just running like a crazy man or god. Greek mythological god. In the back of his head, he's bald. The front of his head, he has long tufts of hair that flow down. And, and what, what they're saying, what, what the Greek mythology on this, this God of the fleeting moment, 
is that you have to be aware. You have to be prepared for that opportunity, for that moment. Because if that moment comes and passes you, you can never get it back. So the idea is you see this, this, this God coming at you and his hair is this long time. And your, your objective is to grab the hair and hold on to that fleeting moment, that opportunity. But, but if you don't, you see the opportunity to go past you and you've missed that, that, that moment. You follow me? Yeah. It's, like, you know, it's like people uh, playing the stock market and, and not buying Apple stock when it was $1.50 uh, a, a share. And all of a sudden it grows up to $700 or whatever it costs now and you're like, oh, I missed that opportunity. Or, or, or the, the, the lottery. You know, some lottery now is like $986 million. Let me tell you something, I'm buying me a ticket. If God wants me to win it, all I need is one ticket. And I look at it as a donation to school and education anyway. So, But if I win it, oh man, you know, dream about what you talk about, dreaming about what you do with $986 million. Build a church, hire people, all those kind of things, you know. Missing that opportunity. What Paul's saying is, listen, God is working in your life. He loves you so much. He sacrificed for you. He showed you you're His dearly loved children. Stop living in some kind of unchristian-like way and start living like you're supposed to live to honor your Father in Heaven and make the most of every opportunity. Make the most of every karyos moment that you have. Jump at it. Plead for it. Get a chance. Grab it by the, the hair and hold that sucker back and make sure you make the most of every opportunity that you have. How many of us have spent our time saying, Oh, I wish I would have done this. Ah, I wish I would have done that. Well, I wish I would have. Ah, I wish, you know. I had people come to church, say the Bible, and get baptized, and then they meet disciples that they work with that never shared their faith with them. <laughs> Let me tell you what those disciples are feeling. I wish... I would have made the most of that opportunity. Making the most of it. You have a chance this morning. I promise you, in this church, in this room, there are people that would benefit from fellowshipping with you. Who are they? I have no idea. I have no idea. But there's someone who would benefit from you from an encouraging word or a kind word or a question or an involvement, and you can make the most of that opportunity. Or when, when you're praying, make the most of that opportunity. Or when you're with your spouse, make the most of that opportunity. Or, or when you're with your kids, make the most of that opportunity. Or on your job, make the most of that opportunity. In your neighborhood, make the most of that opportunity. Make the most of that opportunity. Why? Because you are dearly loved children, and God demonstrated it, and He, and he wants you to mimic or be like Him. Make the most of every opportunity. The word for make the most is one word in Greek, and it means to redeem, to buy it from, uh, from another, to purchase it, or to rescue it. What he's saying here, in, in, in essence, is that, guys, just as Jesus sacrificed because he loves you, you making the most of every opportunity, it's going to cost you. It won't cost the receiver, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. But make the most of every opportunity. Be like Christ. Set an example for the world. Be a light to the world. A week ago, I was in Panama City 
Panama for a conference, the International Leadership Conference, and we're flying back. I travel a fair amount on airplanes and um, some years more than others, and I've got accustomed now to wanting the aisle seat. <laughs> Don't care about windows. I can just put the window up when we land and when we take off, and that's all you can see anyway. But I like the aisle seat because I want to sleep or I want to work or I want to stretch. So we're traveling back, long flight. And I got my aisle seat, and I'm sitting there, and I've got my my iPad, and I've got my earphones, and I'm ready to rock and roll and sleep. (laughs) And uh, the seat next to me is empty. plane's full. So they're walking back, and and, and this woman points. I'm not sure where she's from, but she had an accent of some sort. So she points to my seat and says, that's my seat, the center seat. And I'm, you know, pick up my stuff and stand up, and the husband's with her. And he says, sir, would you mind switching seats? Because I could sit with my wife then on the plane. Now, in honesty, I wasn't feeling too Christ-like at the moment. Okay? I'm sitting I'm staring thinking, I paid more money for the seat. This is my seat. I want to rest. I'm at, I got my luggage and up above. I'm all set. I'm ready to go in this flight. You know, it's like a four-hour trip or whatever it is. And, uh, and I, I don't want... What would Jesus do? Yeah. I don't want to do what Jesus would do. <laughs> what would Jesus do? And Jesus would give up. Okay, I'll give up my seat. So I said to the guy, sure. Uh, where, where are you, where's your seat? And he goes, oh, I'm up there in 17B, which is center seat. And I'm thinking, oh, man, this is a chest. I get to sit in the center seat for some long, lengthy flight uh, because this guy wasn't responsible and didn't, didn't book a seat with his wife. I grab myself and move up there. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm being like Christ. This is good. And, um, and then they have me next to a 10-year-old boy who's in the aisle seat. He doesn't need an aisle seat. Ten-year-old boy, do not need an aisle seat, okay? They don't need it. They they can't stretch long enough. They they, they don't need it, but he's there. And he is going to Boston for the very first time in his life. And so he is just a chatterbox about everything, you know? And what's Boston like? Is it cold? What's weather? You know, he's he's from an island in the Caribbean, and he's all excited. And and I'm like, hey, man, God, you put us together. This is cool, you know. And I, I shared about the ministry and the church and, you know, what Boston's like and all those kind of things. And then he looks at me and he, he, we start talking about age. And he says, uh, how old do you think I am? I said, I'm guessing you're probably a preteen, you know, and he turned out to be 10 years old. And I said, so what do you think about me? Well, how, do, how old do you think I am? He goes, I'm thinking you're like 45. That's what I mean. Now I'm 60. So I'm thinking... I know why God put me here. That was to encourage me. Thank you. You know, thank you, God. You know, kind of deal. Oh, this is so wonderful and, and great. And now I'm so excited and all that good stuff. But being like Christ is not always the easiest thing in the world. It's not always the easiest thing to do at the moment. But the example that it can set for other people, that couple had a chance to sit together and they may not know I'm a Christian, but they at least know some guy was willing to get up and give up his seat. And I benefited from it. Making the most of those opportunities that God lays out. And it does cost us something. For me, it was real simple. I just sat in, in a different seat. But for other times, there's a greater cost. It could be sleep. It could be money. It could be health. But, but making the most of every opportunity. 
Last year in December, Laura and I had a long talk about our lives and our ministry, and we decided to simplify our lives, cut a lot of stuff out, and we sat down and said, you know, we just want to know what's important to God. And that's what we want to do. What's important to Him? What's important to Him is important to me, and that's what my life is going to show. And we came to the conclusion that it was souls. This beautiful globe is not going to exist forever, and the people on it certainly are not going to. And what matters to most to God are people being with Him in heaven for eternity. And so we set out and said, that's what we're going to, that's what we're going to, that, that honors God, that's what we're going to do. We're going to build our lives and we're going to focus on, and it means sacrifice and it means challenges, but it means that we're going to make the most of every opportunity that God provides for us. And that means studying the Bible with people becomes more important than meetings. Got a meeting? Study the Bible with someone? Sorry, can't be at the meeting. We're going to study the Bible with somebody because they want to know about God, the God that I serve, the God that I know, who's my father. Jake Ostrowski is an evangelist in our ministry. And he lives over in the Durham, uh, Dover area of New Hampshire, which is on the coast. And he's been tasked with helping our campus ministry, helping people, college students, become Christians and study the Bible if they're interested. And so they have Bible talk on UNH campus, and they spend hours walking around one day before Bible talk discussion uh, meeting in one of the rooms. And Jake is tired, and he's walking around, and he's inviting all these people to come to Bible talk, and nobody comes. They're not interested. He's walking back and sees one guy walking towards him and Jake's like, I don't, I've had enough rejection. And he walks past the guy, turns around, comes back and he talks to the guy. The guy's name is Connor. And Connor says, you know, dude, I've been looking for a church in God. I'd love to come to your Bible discussion group. Just can't do it right now. I'll be church on Sunday. And, of course, Jake's heard that before. And Sunday morning, Connor shows up at church with his roommate. And then a few months later, they're studying the Bible, and we have a big service over Manchester. And so Connor comes to church with his friend and his mom and his dad and his three sisters. And a few months later, Connor gets baptized into Christ. Matt, his roommate, is now studying the Bible, along with two other roommates. And Jake's like, you know, I was tired I didn't want to make the most of the opportunity. I was just distracted and I was you know, discouraged. And I did it because it was the right thing to do. And boom, God blesses him. He made the most of the opportunity. Right. Greg Martin and Leanne. Greg Martin is one of the elders in our church. And Leanne, his wife, uh, they lead a small group. And they had a woman come up. And uh, there was a, a woman from Georgia who was diagnosed with uh, stage 4 cancer and she was going to die. And she wanted to get reconciled with her daughter who was part of the church. So she asked her daughter if she could move up from Georgia to Maine. She did. They didn't have a good relationship, but she moved up and uh, they began to work on their relationship and try to get things ironed out and straightened out and they were making progress. And then she took a, a, a turn for the worst and went into the hospital. And while in the hospital, she decided, I need to get right with God. I need to do something about this thing. And so, as they're studying the Bible uh, in the hospital, they uh, sit down with the chaplain and say, she wants to get baptized. We're not sure if she's going to get out of the hospital alive. And so, can we baptize her in the hospital? And we have this big tub we bring in and you know, all these things. And so, the, 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 the chaplain looks at them and says, you know, I've never seen a baptism in the hospital, so sure, let's do it. 
and they get all the plumbing and engineering people all together and they set the baptistry up and they sing and they, they pray and they baptize her in the waters of baptism and then uh, a few days later she improves, she goes home and then she dies. About six months before they said she would. But here's the amazing part of the story. Greg said, he goes, you know, Mike, when she came up and she had all this time, I kind of decided that, that you know, we'll, work, we'll, we'll study with her you know, once a week and we'll help her and all those kind of things. And he said at one point I got a call and it kind of I was supposed to do something else, but I was asked to go and, and I decided to go and, and it turned out that it was so necessary and important she became a disciple. But for me, I, I didn't want to take advantage of that moment. I wanted to wait till it was more convenient for me, for my schedule. Now he says, I'm grateful that I didn't do that. I'm grateful that God worked things out. Amber, the daughter, was not able to have children. And so Amber and her mom are praying. And her mom says... When I get to heaven and stand before God, I'm going to ask him to give you a daughter. I kid you not, two weeks later, they reached out to him and said, uh, we have a situation of a child that was born in Lawrence, Massachusetts, that the mother uh, is a drug addict and the father's in jail, and the family met you somehow, some way, and they'd like for you to consider becoming parents of their daughter, of their granddaughter. Of course, Amber and Randall, her husband, like, I'm not sure how you can pay for all that. That's pretty stinking expensive. I'm like, we'll take care of it. We got you covered. Wow. And so for about three or four months, their little girl would stay with Randall and Amber just to see if it fit. And two weeks ago, they got a call saying you've been approved by foster care, and now you can have her permanently. And we'll start the tapes. We'll start the, the process for you to a doctor. That little girl's going to be so stinking spoiled, it's going to be incredible. <laughs> but you look back and you say, who, who could have put these things together? Who could have done all these things? It's God. It's God. And it's just people striving to mimic their father, be like him, be devoted to him in, in good times and bad, stay faithful to him, be used by him, to live a life worthy of the calling and God working things out. I started out by sharing with you the movie Saving Private Ryan. And Captain Miller's dying words of earned this. Earn it. As Christians, we don't have to earn it. But as Christians, we should be doing it out of gratitude and appreciation for our Father in Heaven who loves us so much that He gave His Son to die on this earth for our sins. And to be devoted for the rest of our lives for Him. There's a slide that I'm going to close out with, and that's not it. That's it. I found this, and it says, Your life is made of two dates and a dash. Make the most of the dash. you got a birth date, the day you were born, and at some point you're going to have a date when you expire. And in between is this dash, it's your life. It's the way you live. It's the way you carry yourself. It's the priorities you have, the values that you have. And he says here, make the most. Make the most 
of that dash. Make the most. So I implore you, I ask you, I challenge you to make the most of the life that God has given you on this earth so that you can be used to impact the lives of others and spend eternity in heaven with him celebrating what he has given to you. I love you guys and appreciate you and respect you. And I pray you'll join me in making the most of my dash. Thank you.